right, if you haven't received or taken communion yet, feel free to do so. We're going to open up to Acts chapter 3. I want to start with these poetic words. Silver and gold might buy you a home, but things of this world, they won't last you long. And time has a way of turning us old, and time can't be bought back with silver and gold. Those are the words of Dolly Parton. And we were talking about the structure of the service. I realized we're doing communion and reciting something ancient and uh, sacred, like the Apostles' Creed, and then transitioning into the Dolly Parton words. But um, it, it helps with our, our, our verse today is in Acts chapter 3, and it's a passage really where this comes from, this idea of silver and gold. And we've been going through the book of Acts um, for about six weeks now. We're going to continue to do that through the summer. Um, and today is actually Pentecost Sunday, which on the church calendar is this, uh, this day. It's this reminder that God's presence is with us as his people. Um, and we just talked about Pentecost a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. And we're at a place in this story. Uh, Luke is telling the story of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early church. And uh, after Acts 2, we find that there's all sorts of miraculous things happening. People are filled with awe and wonder, and everyone is in one accord. Things are going well. And then in Acts chapter 3, Luke describes, this is how this is kind of playing out, and he brings up this story. And the story that we're going to look at today, it's actually like a, we could do three sermons off of this story, because it's the story of a person that gets healed, an explanation of the healing, uh, a controversy, and then a court case, and then another explanation. So there's a lot going on that starts here in Acts chapter 3. So let me just read it, and then I'm going to offer some observations. Um, Acts 3 verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame or crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So it's a pretty clear picture, the details of this story. Like Luke is talking in Acts about all these different things that are happening, and then he slows down here, and it's like he draws us into the picture. Here's how those miraculous things were happening. There's this guy that was crippled from birth who ends up getting healed. He ends up that Peter and John end up healing this man. 
And, and it's interesting, too, because as you're, you're reading through up until this point, like as Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes, everything's going great. And then this story all of a sudden becomes controversial for the disciples. And Peter, uh, what, what you find is he's kind of in the center of it. He's always in the center of trouble throughout the Bible. He's just always up to something. But here he's actually doing something good. And just some observations about this. So this story starts off, first couple of characters, you have Peter and John. You know, John, one of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, John, one of the inner three. Um, what we're reminded of is there's this partnership in ministry. Like Peter and John are disciples, but they're also working together. And, and throughout the Gospels, you find them working together as the inner three. They're the two that ran to the tomb when Jesus rises from the dead, when the women have this report that Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and John tells about it in his Gospel, and he's kind of like poking fun at Peter. He's like, we both ran to the tomb, but I outran Peter, you know. He's a little bit slower than me. And we got to the tomb, and, and I believed, but he doubted. And, like, they have this, like, kind of back-and-forth relationship that even you see the, their personality and sense of humor kind of come out in the Scripture story. And we'll find that throughout Acts, these two are, are working together for the church. There's this, there's this partnership in ministry that we have. We're a part of community. This isn't just something we do alone. Another observation is they're on their way to the temple for prayer. There's a priority to prayer in the disciples' life. And they go to the temple, and kind of the context of why they're doing this, in the Jewish mindset, the day started at 6 a.m., and it ended at 6 p.m., and there were three calls to prayer throughout the day. And, and for them, as devout Jews, they were, they were like centering their whole life around the presence of God. So they would stop everything to pray. And when you're in Jerusalem and you're near the, the temple, you go there to pray. So Peter and John are on their way to pray at the temple. This is something for them that is essential to their life. And remember, this is after Jesus has been crucified, died on the cross for our sins, conquered death, resurrected, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now they're still doing this thing that feels like a ritual. Like this is like Old Testament asking them to stop and to pray. And they continue this tradition. Because for them, prioritizing around prayer and having this healthy rhythm of prayer, they realize this isn't to appease God. There's something formational for my soul to stop, to pause, to have this rhythm to it. Like even Sunday morning is a rhythm. It's a spiritual rhythm where we stop, we slow down. What we just did the time of silence, taking communion together is different than, than anything else throughout the week. There's something about that that forms us, reminds us that we're a part of a much bigger story. We're part of a, a family of God. There's this priority to prayer that they are doing because they realize that forms their soul. And then as they're at the temple praying, they run into this man, and it tells us that he is crippled since birth. We'll find in Acts chapter 4 that he's, he's like over 40 years old. He's been crippled his whole life. I turned 40 this year. I remember reading that thinking, man, he's been crippled his entire life. And now I'm like, well, he's only been crippled like half his life. Like, it's not bad. You know, he's in his 40s. But it tells us that he has been crippled. And so because of that, his whole life is dependent on other people. Like, he's carried to the temple gates and... 
set down for the day. He can't walk. He's dependent on other people's generosity, on other people's grace. He probably has people that are close to him because they bring him there every day and they take him home every evening. But his whole life is dependent on someone else. And you, you, when you, you see people like this throughout Scripture where they're desperate. Like he, he's here and he's begging. The shame is gone. He just needs help. There's this hopeless resignation to his life. He's had this thing that has, his whole life he's dealt with. And he, he's probably hoped that he's been, would overcome it, hoped that he's been healed. And yet there's this hopeless resignation where he's sitting here begging at the temple gates. It's this reminder that life is incredibly difficult. There's this hopeless resignation that oftentimes we, we find ourselves in for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's a physical thing that hinders us. Maybe it's a, an emotional thing that we, we can't get through. Maybe it's spiritual. But there's this reality of life that you, we get stuck, and it's like you can, you can pray, but you're just, you're, just, you're just kind of there begging. And we see him there at the mercy of everyone else's generosity, hopelessly resigned. Yet there are people who love him because they've placed him in a somewhat strategic location. It tells us it's the gate called Beautiful. And I don't feel like this gate gets talked about enough. The gate called Beautiful, there's, there's all sorts of like speculation, scholars and historians are trying to figure out like what this location is. But essentially what it is, is when you would go to the temple, the temple had different courts. And depending on your status, you could move in closer and closer into the middle of the temple where the Holy of Holies was. That, that was where they were like the presence of God here on earth. And so on the outside of the temple was the, the, the court of the Gentiles. And everyone could go there. And this gate was set up at the court of the Gentiles. And next to that was the court of women. So Jewish women could go into this court and pray. And after that was the court of Israel. Jewish men could go in. And depending on what your status was, you could go further into the temple to pray. But this gate at the, temp, at the, the court of Gentiles, everybody could go. And, and the busyness of Jerusalem and the city, people would be passing by all the time. Tons of traffic would have flowed in through here, coming to this place of worship. It tells us that this gate is probably called the Nicanor Gate, named after the, the person that, that donated it. Uh, it tells us that in some other sources. Uh, it's always fun to cross-reference biblical sources with other sources, but the, the Mishnah tells us that. There's this historian named Josephus um, who, who writes um, about the history of the Jews in the first century, and, and he talks about this gate. Um, he says that this gate um, was, was made out of Corinthian bronze, and then it was plated with silver and set in gold. This was this ornate, beautiful location. The gate called beautiful. And so when he is placed here, the people who are helping him know, this is where you put someone who's desperate. This is where you put someone who is hopeless because they will be able to receive other people's generosity. But what's amazing about, about this guy is in his hopelessness, he goes all the way to the temple to pray, but he's not allowed to enter it. He's stuck at the gate. He can't go in because of his ailment. He can see in. 
He can see into the temple where uh, the, the beauty of, of the architecture and the, uh, the sacredness of that space, but he can't enter into it. He's stuck outside. There's a commentator writing on this passage named John Zeisler, and he, he says this about this story. And this is why I, Scripture has this way of drawing us in. It says, so we see that the lame beggar's experience was a metaphor for the experience of most folks in the world. If you could read the hearts of people you interact with, most have oriented themselves toward a place where God is. They can see the marble and gold shining in the sunlight at a distance. They know that God cares enough to name a place for himself and to invite people to come. And they have made some effort to go. They've gotten as far as the city or as far as the courtyard of the Gentiles or as far as the courtyard of the women. But at some point, the gate was not an entrance, but a barrier. And they couldn't go any farther. They didn't have the answer to the questions of their own brokenness, fear, inadequacy. Because the truth is, when we read the story, we realize all of us are beggars at the temple gates. All of us are, have brokenness. All of us are in need of mercy, need of salvation, need of provision. And like this man, we, we find ourselves with this posture where we need someone to reach out to save us. There's this posture that we have of desperation where God meets us in our brokenness. And that's what is a, a, what's so amazing about this story. All of us are beggars at the temple gates, and yet we have Jesus who meets us through that barrier. Jesus comes to earth, and there is power in the name of Jesus. And we see this because as Peter comes across this guy, and he's there, uh, Peter, Peter meets with this guy, and he says, you know, he, he's, he, has, he, he realizes this guy wants silver and gold. And he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. He has the presence of Christ with him. He offers it to this man. He offers what this man truly needs, what makes this man truly wealthy. And he gets up, and he walks. There's healing power in Jesus. I was hanging out with Ian this week, and if you know Ian, um, runs our, our grounds here at Desert City and uh, has a heart for, for ministry in the gospel. And he uh, did, um, we we're, were talking a couple of weeks ago about spiritual gifting, and so he does this spiritual gifting assessment, and we meet and we're talking through spiritual gifting and, um, you know, what his strengths are, weaknesses, all that. It's a fun activity. But as he was talking about just his heart, I was like, well, what's your favorite Bible verse? And he said, John three sixteen, And I said, well, what does it say? And he goes, it's the verse that talks about how much God loves us, that he would do anything to reach us. And I, and I was thinking, I was like, well, I thought you were going to quote it, but that's, that's what the profound truth of that verse is. God so loved us. He sends Jesus. The barrier has been broken. Like we sit at the gate begging, and yet Jesus reaches out reaches out, there's power in Jesus, the supremacy of Christ that meets us in our condition. 
the healing power of Jesus. And then what you also have here is the helpful people of Jesus. This story happens because Peter is walking by this gate and he sees this man who's suffering and he stops and he listens and he's open to the man's request. The man wants help and he realizes this man's asking for the wrong thing but he gives the man what he truly needs. He's helpful and in tune to what the Spirit of God is doing in this moment, the helpful people of God. There's an old story back in like the 10th or 11th century about Thomas Aquinas, um, great theologian, and uh, goes to the Vatican to meet with Pope Innocent II, I think. And as he goes in to meet Pope Innocent in uh, the, the Vatican's treasury, and he's counting this huge stack of gold coins. And Aquinas comes in and kind of waiting for, to have this conversation, and they start talking, and Pope Innocent says, never again will the church have to say, silver and gold, I don't have. And Aquinas thinks about that for a little bit. And he says, we also can't say, rise and walk. Like, we've lost something here, this power, this presence that comes with Jesus when we become dependent on something else. The helpful people of God bring with them the name of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, and there's power in that. We're sent out to do the work of Jesus. Another observation in this story is that this man who's sitting by the gate called Beautiful if he's, if he's there every day of his life, if he's dropped off there, that means Jesus probably has seen him when he was on earth. He's probably passed by this gate. He probably knows who this guy is. Peter and John probably do as well. And something happens this day. And for whatever reason, Jesus decides he doesn't heal him when he runs by him. Maybe it's because he's asking the wrong question. I don't know. But here... We have the church, the early church, the disciples who run into this man. They stop, they hear this question, and they respond, and they do the work of Jesus. Not only is there this posture of desperation where we need Jesus to meet us, but as Jesus meets us, we are now empowered to do the work of Jesus. When he ascends to heaven, when he sends his Holy Spirit and acts, he empowers the church to be his hands and feet in this earth, on this earth in this world, called to do what he would do when he was here. He's now working through us. And the question is, do we have the ability to stop, to pause, to listen to those who are hurting and broken around us? Those that are suffering around us, do we slow down and do we stop? In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Isaiah that talked about this longing of the people of God for when the Messiah would come into the world and what it would look like. And I want to end our time just hearing these words today. And when we think about our posture we take towards God, broken and desperate, trusting as we sing about earlier, that this is where salvation lies, redemption, and also empowered as the people of God to be the hands and feet, aware of the suffering around us. We hear these words these longings in the Old Testament. Isaiah 35 says this, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. 
Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, as we just saw in the story, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. This hope that we have in Jesus, who is taking things that are broken, making them beautiful, taking things that are hopeless, and giving them a future, meets us today. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for these stories of how the early church went forth. And we hear of signs and wonders, and then, Lord, as the scripture slows down, we get the details of something that just fills people with awe and wonder. Your healing touch, your presence with us. Today, Lord, we come to you from different places in our journey. For some, we're desperate. We feel the brokenness and reality of the difficulties of this world. Lord, for others, we have experienced your healing touch. We need to be reminded of the life that you give us. And Lord, that you have called us to be a certain kind of people, full of love and grace and mercy. Lord, that we would slow down, that we'd be attuned to the pain around us, and that we'd be your hands and feet in this place. But we're reminded that we're all beggars at the temple gates. And we're, great, we're grateful that you make a way, that you meet us, that you invite us to a life everlasting. Lord, I ask that your blessing would be on your people today, that you would empower this community with your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray.